Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Get me started. Yep. And warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. It's going to be a great day. We're going to have guide talk coming up in just a minute. And I didn't have all my guys potted down. So you could hear the guys clearing their throats and getting ready. It's going to be a great hour. Let me know what questions you'd like us to tackle today. We're open to your calls, your text messages only, actually. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-93-FAITH. We will take any question you have. The power panel today is Dr. Peter Kapsner, Pastors Tom Brock and Pastor Tom Parrish, and Pastor Justin Jepson, if we can get him patched into the call. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, we are going to begin. Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Do you have a story of helping others in your community? We want to hear how you are putting your faith into action during these unique and trying times. When you share your story, you inspire and help mobilize others to step out in faith too. And together we can cause a ripple effect for Christ. Share your creative ways to serve the needs of others at MyFaithRadio.com. Together, we're growing in our faith. I love listening to Faith Radio, especially Susie Larson at noon, but other speakers too. And it's because God gives us these truths that we need for life and wellness and health. But he goes before us and he gives us these things so that we can live it out. But we can also share things with other people that God brings into our lives at the right time. And it's wonderful that we can share hope and truth that really makes a difference. So, The message of hope heard daily on Faith Radio. Welcome to the show. Glad you're with us today. We've got Guy Talk happening this hour. John and Pam Bloom, Deep Thinker Thursday, coming up after Guy Talk. Not that Guy Talk won't be deep thinking, because it will be some of the deepest thinking we do every week. My panel is ready and raring to go. Gentlemen, welcome. Good to be with you, Bill. All right, everybody. Thanks, Bill. I love the way everyone speaks at once. That's great. All right. (laughs) Question already in. Uh, Let's see. Why do so many people struggle to forgive themselves? Good question to get things started. Seems that God will forgive us, but we sometimes struggle forgiving ourselves. What's with that? I had the privilege of working with a ministry for quite a few years, and it was women who had had abortions, but had now come to realize that that was wrong. They were carrying the guilt and the shame. My role was to teach them about the Lord's forgiveness how to forgive others, and how to forgive themselves. And you're right, that was the hardest area about forgiving themselves because we always think we should know better. You know, we should be able to not make those kind of mistakes. And yet the liberation came when they when they finally realized how much Jesus loved them and how much he had forgiven them. And the, the, the kind of the key to the whole thing was, if Jesus has forgiven you that much, then you can forgive yourself as well. And it was a joy. I'll be honest, mm-hmm. guys, to see those women released. 
Mm-hmm. And, and I can remember that. I can remember hearing this. I remember hearing a sermon when I was about 20 years old, and the pastor said, "Every time you sin, immediately do three things. Number one, immediately confess it." The word confess in Greek means to agree with. So you say, God, I agree with you. That was wrong. Number two, you immediately put it under the blood that Christ died for this sin, so I'm Mm -hmm. forgiven. And then he said, number three, you immediately forget about it and move on. So number one, confess it. Number two, put it under the blood. Number three, forget about it, forgive yourself, and move on. Because if you don't forgive yourself... um, You'll, you'll just kind of give, give Satan a big open door. I mean, if if, if you don't think you're forgiven and you're, uh, you, you might as well sin because you're going to hell anyway, you know. So you got to claim the forgiveness of sins, and that can be a fight. It can be a battle to overcome my guilt with the promises of God. But that's that's one reason I think Jesus gave us Holy Communion when we take the the wine shed for the forgiveness of your sins, you know. So I, mm-hmm. I think uh, it, sometimes it can be a battle, especially if you're kind of a guilt-ridden human, uh, but uh, we got to fight that battle. Mm. You know, and Bill, yeah. I wonder uh, if for some people, too, there's a fear of failure that's mixed into this whole thing on some level. I mean, I don't know many people that get up in the morning and say, gosh, I just, I can't wait to fail again today. It's awesome. Um, and, uh, you know, and so you just wonder if that's not part of the deal for some people that, um, that and failure is such a strong teacher. It's such a good teacher. I, I think some of the people, if we take it out of the spiritual realm for just a second, uh, some of the most successful people, I would say, at least according to some of the metrics of this world are those people that are not afraid to fail, that that try uh, a lot of different things and, and figure there's going to be a learning curve in doing this trying, but we're going to figure it out along the way. And if you take it into the spiritual realm, I would say that a failure is something that we should and could anticipate as frail human beings. I mean, if we have a robust theology of sin, if we have a robust theology of the idea that this world doesn't work the way that it's meant to work, then obviously things are going to fail on a uh, on a daily basis. And when you combine that idea with the fact uh, of the cross and of the resurrection and God's great love and great compassion and forbearance and all of those things for us, um, God just gets magnified times 10 in that situation, that not only was God not afraid of our failure, God uh, came to earth in the midst of that failure. Uh, while we were yet mm-hmm. sinners, he died for us. And uh, and so I think some of those messages, we can we can allow failure in, in, our, um, in our sin to teach us humility, um, to teach us gratefulness, uh, to teach us freedom, uh, a number of different things. But uh, if people can't forgive themselves because they failed, I think they're missing maybe what is one of the key parts that is the heart of the gospel. Wow. Mm-hmm. Great answer, Peter. Yeah. yeah, I totally agree with everything that's been said. I think that this really, in a sense, goes back. It's, it's as old as the garden, and I think it, it goes back to the tendency we have in fallen humanity to really assume the place of God, um, and to say, if, if I, I really, I, I believe that if we say, "Well, I know God's forgiven me, but I can't forgive me myself," I don't really think that the the person, and this is from my own experience, that I've really actually fully embraced and accepted and received and realized the forgiveness uh, that 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 has come from from Christ to me. You know, I think it's um, we, there, there's the enemy always kind of coming in and saying, hey, did God really say, did God really forgive you? You know, you did this again. You're just going to fail again, to Peter's point. And, you know, and I think that I'm reminded as well of Jesus's conversation with Peter. You know, why did he have to ask him three times? You know, Peter, do you love me? 
you know, I think Peter would, and, and dealing with his regret and his remorse, he needed that repetition. Um, he, in other words, he needed the repetition uh, to, to hear the truth of the gospel. And, and I think it's always important for us to have other people to incarnate that truth. Um, as I've had so many people in my life, and I've just beat myself up, and I've even been there and said, I, I, I've sinned again, I did this again. And someone said, you don't need to, Justin, don't crucify yourself. Jesus did that for you. Like, you, you're, you're released. You don't have to punish yourself. Um, and so I think it's really fully grasping the beauty and the full mm-hmm. expansiveness of, of the gospel for our lives. And so I think we yeah. I think we do a lot more listening to ourselves than talking to ourselves. And so I think we we need that we need to proclaim and preach the gospel to ourselves in those moments and have and re- receive it from others as well. May I add one more thought? Of course. When I was uh, pastoring congregations, of course, on Sundays, you'd always have the passing of the peace. So let's greet one another. Let's welcome one another in the name of Jesus. Everybody shake hands. Now they're bumping elbows. No, they're not even there, are they? They're right. watching on TV. But I remember one Sunday, and I don't know what got in me, I said, you know, we want to obey the scriptures here at this church, and we want to do what it says. Everybody's nodding their heads. And I said, okay, uh, the scripture says we should confess our sins to one another. Let's do that instead. And everybody <laughs> just stood there and looked at me like, what are you talking about? But think about it for a moment. We trap ourselves in our sins because we don't take the counsel of Scripture seriously enough to really trust the body of Christ. And you don't have to confess to everybody, but I mean, not too many Christians have a small group to go to. Not too many Christians have brothers and sisters in Christ. They can say, hey, I really messed up in this, or I'm really sinful, or I keep doing this. I think that's where the power is, and that's where Jesus wants us to be. But for some reason, guys, we're a long way from it. All right, I want you guys to put on your pastoral hat and let's pour some love and truth into this brother that just wrote in and said, what should I do about recurring sin? I have been struggling for 20 years. I feel hopeless. I thought I was saved. Mm. All right, let's speak love and truth into this brother's life. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that just because someone continues in a struggle with sin, I would say the fact that he's struggling against sin is a, is a sign that he is saved, because if he's feeling um, a sense of remorse or conviction, that that's still so you've got to discern there again that that voice of guilt is is you know I think the, it's been said that the, the devil always condemns generally, but the Holy Spirit convicts specifically, and the conviction which leads to repentance, which leads to hope, um, that that he's not going to ever out sin the reach of God's grace, you know, where sin abounds, grace is even more. So 20 years of struggling with the same sin, there's uh, an eternity's worth uh, of, of, of God's grace that's still yet to be revealed to him in the midst of that struggle and to, and to keep trusting God for victory. Um, and I really, I really, I, I, I um, empathize and really, um, I, I, commend this this dear brother to be able to share that and continue and encourage him to continue to do that with close um, uh, community of brothers around him as well. And, you know, I would encourage him to do two things. Number one, claim 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins mm-hmm. and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's written to Christians who present tense need to confess their sins. And Jesus said mm-hmm. to Peter, 
you know, you need to forgive somebody 70 times seven a day. Well, God's doing at least that much for us. So uh, the, mm-hmm. the first thing I would encourage this guy to do is claim First John 1, 9 or Ephesians 1, 7. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. So again, that old sermon I heard, confess your sin, put it under the blood, forgive yourself and move on. So the main thing there is to claim claim the grace of God, the forgiveness of sins through Christ. But the second thing I would say to him is to do battle. If you've been struggling with the same sin for 20 years, and I think that's true for all of us in, in a sense, but are you doing battle? Do you have somebody that you confess your sins to that you hold that is holding you accountable? I, I had a, a guy send me an email this week who struggles with homosexuality and adult male. And he said, look, I, I do this and I hate it and et cetera. And he, he's a Christian and he says, but um, I have never told anyone about this. And that was my response to him. You got to find somebody and talk mm-hmm. about it and get an accountability in your life. Because if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to keep getting what you're getting. You need to find accountability, claim your forgiveness of sins, but then fight, really fight this thing. All right, let me take a little break. You're listening to Guy Talk. Let us know what your questions are. You can send me a text, 877-933-2484, or if you like, email better, bill at myfaithradio.com. show so glad the uh, gentlemen are willing and able and ready to be here with guy talk today the power panel is dr peter kapsner pastors tom brock tom Parrish, justin jepson thank you gentlemen once again for being here question just came in from a listener named michelle a childhood friend contacted me today and he is experiencing a very tough time. Normally, I would just say let's meet for coffee or go to a sports event to reconnect. We talked about meeting for uh, a socially distanced walk. What ideas do you guys have for meeting under our current restrictions? Thank you for the show. And don't all answer yeah. at once. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll just, yeah, I mean, it's been really kind of, it's been cool to see the creativity that this crisis has, has kind of surfaced in the ways that different people have met, I've met. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure along with Michelle, I'm probably, she's probably tired of looking at a computer screen, you know, <laughs> and all the virtual meetings. And so, um, you know, I, I, I've, it's been interesting to see the amount of people that I've pulled up on, you know, in their cars and have kind of been side to side and they're in their cars and they have the windows down and they can at least, you know, um, speak <laughs> with each other. Yeah. And, um, that way they can at least see one another. Um, they can even still have the phone maybe in case they don't have to like shout, you know, if they can't hear each other. Um, and obviously if other people are walking by and they're talking about things that are more serious, they don't want people to hear them maybe. Um, so, um, that might be one idea that I've seen. I haven't done that myself. I'm not sure exactly how that, you know, how that goes, but that would be one idea rather than taking a walk. I would take the walk. I, a couple of friends and I, I, I've been very careful. I mean, I'm, I don't want to get this thing. I just hate to be sick. So I'm being super careful, uh, you know, washing my groceries, this kind of stuff. But, mm-hmm. um, 
the a couple friends called me up and said, let's meet at a park. We took a, a long walk. We were all six feet apart, and it was great. So there's, you know, and that's that's legal to do. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a very reasonable way you just said too, Tom, to just get in and go to a park. I know uh, a real good friend of mine uh, that we went through seminary together and have been through a lot of life together over 20-plus years, and he's got five kids as well, are one of our routines during the summer was to play a round of golf, um, maybe around once a week, every 10 days or so. And Minnesota just lifted its restrictions for golf courses last week. So we, we managed to actually play today. And, and of course, a golf course has a lot of open space to it. And so uh, it's no trouble at all staying six feet, feet apart, especially if, if I'm in the woods and he's in the water and we're going separate directions <laughs> anyway. Uh, but I, I mean, I think there's plenty of places that you can find a walk uh, where you can easily stay six feet apart. It might not be sort of a, a bike path somewhere or something along those lines. But I think there's lots of places that you can pick where you can stay that distance apart. Mm -hmm. Do I understand that this is a, a woman and she's got a friend well, who's a male? No, no, it got corrected. It was. It is not a woman. It is another man. Oh, yeah. very good. Yep. All the advice is good then. Yes, it is. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, another question that has uh, come in that... This person has been hiding uh, sexual sin from the girlfriend, um, and it involves pornography. I've forgiven myself. However, forgiveness has not yet come from her. So, yeah, I mean, I think. About it? Yeah, that's a good question. What'd you Does say, she Tom? Know about it? Does she know about it? Um, about his pornography problem? I don't know. Okay, because yeah. it sounds like she does. She sounds like she must because she hasn't forgiven him. Am I right? It's not. It sounds that way to me as well. And that's sometimes okay. the difficulty of a text. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I, you know, assuming that's the case, and I would love for you guys to jump in, just kind of on pastoral advice. I just from the perspective of teaching a class over the last ten years on sexuality and seeing so many student papers when we deal specifically over a two-week period with the subject of pornography. That one thing I'd want to just at least say to him out loud is uh, you can so often feel like you are alone uh, and that you're the only one who struggles with this kind of thing. And uh, and it doesn't justify it. I'm not at all saying anything and saying how pervasive it is that then he this is all fine. I'm just saying that I, to start with, I can't tell you how often the circumstances are where the questions that I get in class are, so how do I walk alongside of somebody who I'm in a relationship with, who also just confessed to me that they are struggling with and or addicted to pornography. So these are hardly unusual circumstances. In fact, they're almost always the usual circumstances. And and I'd be mm -hmm. curious to you as pastoral people what you say to help people out. But uh, but boy, this is so pervasive and such a big mm -hmm. issue. I'm sure you're not the only one that could write in with this very question. Today. Yeah. And the secondary text mm -hmm. that came in from this listener said, yes, she does know. Okay. Mm -hmm. I think she's got the right to ask him, are you willing to really put yourself under some um, protection? I just watched a video on this issue on sexual purity, and he's a married guy who, who has a problem with pornography. So what he has done is he's eliminated having the Internet in his house. He's got it on his wife's phone. So when he wants to use the Internet, he has to go and use his wife's phone. That's how that's how strict he's gotten on himself. I I'm pretty strict on myself in that I've got something called 
um, covenant eyes on my iPhone and on my computer that restricts the bad stuff. And so I, I, you know, if she, if she, you know, hopefully she will forgive you, but I do think she's got the right to say, so you're going to keep doing this or you're going to really um, get some help. Mm-hmm. Well, and the, there's, a, there's lots of groups out there that help, especially men. I know there are women. Peter's helped us understand that, but mainly for men that help deal with pornography from a Christian point of view, kind of like AA. Now, of course, they're not meeting, but I'm sure they're Skyping or they're Zooming. And there are groups that you can join that will hold you accountable because the issue is it goes much deeper than just I've been doing this all my life to what is the source and how do I give that over to the Lord properly? And most most guys have no clue how to do that. And I would encourage uh, this, the gentleman to look into that. And the, I would say to the woman involved, uh, if you love this gentleman, you know, be patient. This is a deep, deep sin that takes an awful long time to overcome even for those of the mm-hmm. most faithful in the Lord. Uh, mm-hmm. If she, him, she's probably going to walk away from about 98% of all the other guys out there too. And I got another message from the same listener that said, tell Pastor Tom that, yes, I am using Covenant Eyes. So he's making good. some, taking some good steps. Yeah, good, good job. Yeah. I think it's also um, important here that, um, you know, it's, it's okay to give some time. You know, I think forgiveness is, is a process. It's not just a one-time, you know, decision. You can you deal with it. You're done with it, especially when you're in relationship. And so, you know, I think the best apology is, is changed behavior and action. Um, and uh, when I, I remember walking alongside of one of my friends prior to he, him getting engaged um, uh, with his girlfriend, and he had finally opened up to everything that you know he had been going through and and, and struggling with the same things that this caller has. And I remember, I mean, it literally it crushed him, and and it sent him into this season of of renewal and getting help that he needed. And um, I, I was able to stand at their wedding and doing so well, and 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 that was that was a catalyst for victory for him. Um, I remember myself when I had been dating my now current wife for about. Uh, I don't know how long it was, but it was a several months before we actually got engaged. And I opened up and I shared with her about my whole sexual history and past. And I did, by God's grace, that that wasn't occurring. That struggle hadn't happened while we were dating, but yet um, it it literally it, it crushed her. And I and I I realized for the I think for the first time how much my sin impacts those around me. And uh, and I had to give time and to be patient and to trust and to pray for her, for myself. And um, there was amazing healing that the Lord brought. And on the other side of that, on the other side of that pain and that process, there was an even deeper intimacy um, that we were able to walk into and walk through together. All right, gentlemen, I'm going to need to take our uh, break. So when we come back, we will continue our discussion. Guide Talk is is underway. Let me know what questions you have for us you'd like us to chew on. 877-933-2484 is the text line. 877-93-FAITH. You can also email me if you prefer. Bill at MyFaithRadio.com. Bill at MyFaithRadio.com. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the show. Guide Talk is happening. We're sitting around discussing matters of importance. And I've got uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner, pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, Justin Jepson as the power panel. Uh, kind of going back to the earlier question we brought up about forgiveness, self-forgiveness and all that. Another uh, listener jumped in with, uh, uh, do you think a good way to know you're saved is the enemy saying that you are not saved? Because if you were not, why would he be bringing this up in your mind all the time? Hmm. I mean, where does that yeah, antagonism because, come from? Yeah, no, I think it's a fair, fair question, uh, Bill. It's interesting <clears throat> when the when the serpent shows up in the biblical text, and, and the serpent shows up a lot of different times in the text, what is common or, or the theme of that serpent is one of doubt. And of course, in the initial time we, we, we meet the serpent in the biblical text in the Genesis 3 garden story, is the serpent saying, did God really say? And thus introducing doubt in the equation. But you see the serpent show up in a lot of different times in the text as well, including when Moses uh, doesn't think that he can go back to Egypt and to declare to the Pharaoh to set the, the people free. And he basically tells God, I'm, I'm a stuttering shepherd. There's, there's no chance I can go back there. What am I going to do? And God says, oh, Moses, throw your staff on the ground. And and Moses does, and it you know it turns into a snake. And uh, you have the people of Israel as they come to the edge of the promised land, and they say, well, we can't take the promised land, God. There's giants in the land. And, and of course, Joshua and Caleb thought differently. And, uh, and yet, um, they were the only two, and the rest of Israel doubted that they could take the promised land. And, and so God turned them around in the wilderness for 40 years, and what began to bite at their heels? Well, it's serpents. And there's many other ways in which the serpent shows up. I could keep going on and on. Uh, but for the sake of time, the point being is it's one of the most common themes we see in both the real creature who has the serpent, but also the archetype or the symbol that the creature represents in the biblical text. And that is one of doubt. And so I... To the point of the caller to be able to say, wow, I wonder if I really do have the kind of salvation active in me right now that that God has made possible, given that I'm struggling with sin, I must not, and then I must be afraid, and all of these different things. That's always the first move of the serpent, uh, that being Satan, to sow doubt into our life, because then doubt creates fear, and then fear creates hiding, and then pretty soon we're on this crazy cycle downward and all of that. So it's probably a pretty spot-on assessment. I think, too, I want to say this, that, you know, I agree with what Peter just said. We're, we're talking with someone probably who's penitent. They're sorry for their sin. They're trusting in Christ. They need to know they're forgiven, they're saved, etc. But there are people that start to wonder if they're saved or not. And that might not be the devil. That might be the Holy Spirit. Because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, do not be deceived. Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, etc., etc. Such were some of you, but you were washed. And I think if someone is living in impenitent sin, I'm not going to rush to that person to say, oh, well, but you prayed the prayer and he asked Jesus in your heart and you got baptized, so you're safe. I mean, go ahead and keep living with your girlfriend. No, no. We got to say, don't be deceived. First Corinthians 6, 9 fornicators will not inherit the kingdom of God. So not all doubt is from the devil. I think some of that is convict can be conviction from the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think, I mean, you know, Paul says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling and to, to examine yourselves to see if you're of the faith. And so I think that that is one indicator. If you are struggling against sin, you are penitent, you are repentant. Um, that's a part of the life and the call of discipleship is one of repentance. But I think it's to not just listen to the serpent, so to speak, but to all the more cling to and listen to the voice of the Spirit. 
you know, in Romans 8, it says that all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you to not receive the spirit of slavery as to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So at the end of the day, we, we cling to the, to the Spirit's bearing witness with our spirit, which, again, isn't marked by something like fear and confusion and chaos, but it's marked by with a, with a peace and a humble security. Um, and then again, I keep going back to this, but I think is often confirmed and uh, incarnated in the context of Christian community. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Yeah, and I, you know, and go back to something that Parrish has said over, over our week together on, on Guy Talk. I mean, I know Tom Parrish has brought up a lot as we've talked about what does it even mean to be saved and what is salvation at its core? And I think there's a danger in reducing it down to the idea that I did some sort of ritual here on this earth that positions me properly for heaven. And, and that's not necessarily the witness of the biblical text. It's an interesting theological stream in which some people are swimming. But the idea that I can kind of say a bunch of magic words somehow and God waves a magic wand and, and, to, and to be saved is reduced down to the idea that now I get to get into heaven when I die. Those are some pretty mm-hmm. interesting concepts relative to theological history um, and, and biblical history that then do create the kind of space to say, well, if I am saved, meaning that I get into heaven when I die, why am I still sinning? Well, maybe I didn't actually get saved. And then that can lead to somebody getting baptized 50, 100 times. That can lead to somebody like myself growing up. I certainly prayed the sinner's prayer, oh, I don't know how many times, I, you know, at least 13. <laughs> and it always bothered me when the pastor would say, well, do you remember the date that you were saved? And if I couldn't remember the date, if I hadn't tattooed it on my arm or something like that, then I would go ahead and pray it again because I was concerned that, about my salvation being something that was only related to getting into heaven when I die. And and the Bible appears to be teaching something a little bit different related to that, that heaven is actually our home. It's where we are headed towards. It's the place where we finally get to put down the bags of this, you know, of our luggage that we walk through this disorienting earth with. And, and we finally come to our home as opposed to getting something when I die. Salvation is sort of God's active power in our lives that increasingly releases us from sin in, in which case we experience that in part in this life, but we experience that in full in the life to come. And so we are going to wrestle with sin in this life. We're not going to be mm-hmm. fully released from it in those places. And there isn't some sort of magic prayer that we can pray in this life that allows us to escape the struggles of this life with sin. We, we taste our future in part, but then we will taste it in full at that time. And so I think the question is very understandable. But I think we have to okay. also reconsider and maybe expand upon what our definition of salvation even is and what it means to be somebody who's saved. A big transition happened in my life many years ago when, I mean, for a long time, I was concerned, just like this gentleman, do I believe enough? You know, have I been good enough? Have I repented enough? And it's a, you can get into that. And sometimes you need to. I agree with Tom Brock. There are times you need to be doing some serious repenting. But for me, the transition came when I moved away from being more concerned about those things and moved over to being passionately in love with Jesus and that my life's passion was to know him and to seek him and to do his will. And you know what that did, it gave me the power to confess honestly, to be honest with my wife, to be honest with people around me and to start quit worrying about what other people thought of me. My only concern ultimately was what Jesus thought of me and his word says he loves me. So my goal has always been, whether it's dealing with men with pornography, whether it's dealing with doubt like you're talking about, 
is to really try to help people into moving into this realm of how passionate are you about loving Jesus and honoring him above everything else in your life? Well said, Tom Parrish. I like that. Mm. Another listener jumped in and said, if the father of lies said it, why would you believe it? Good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we shouldn't. But I'm just saying that sometimes it can be a trick to tr- determine if something is what I what I say is dreams come from one of three places: God, the devil, or pizza. You know, and if you have a dream, how do I determine was that the Lord talking to me, mm-hmm. or was that the devil, or was that pizza that mm-hmm. I ate? You know, and and I think sometimes. Yeah, the devil is the father of lies, so we, we reject all of his lies. But if someone's being convicted, they're wondering about their salvation while they're living in a penitent sin, I think that's good they're wondering about their salvation. Mm-hmm. So I emailed you guys a couple of questions. I don't know if you can, if you receive them or you can even multitask when you're doing the show. <laughs> did you get my email? At this point, yeah. Okay, you did, Peter? I did not, actually. Okay, let yeah. me read a question. This comes from my uh, wingman, Terry. He said, in Daniel 10, 10 through 18, we have the story of the angel coming to answer Daniel's prayer after withstanding the prince of Persia for 21 days in spiritual battle. Since then, we had the glorious miracle of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, who lived, died, and was resurrected, so anyone who believes in him will have everlasting life. Do unclean spirits still delay answers to our prayers, or has Jesus nullified some of their spiritual interference? I think of the, I think of the verse from Acts where Paul says that they were going to somewhere, but um, Satan prevented us. Or no, there's one where it says the Holy Spirit prevented us, but isn't there another one that says Satan prevented us? I, anybody got this? <laughs> I'm looking, Tom. Um, okay. If you guys can't yeah, come up with it, I'm going to have to replace this cast. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Terry, Terry always writes in those questions, and he always, you know, forces us to look deeply I, into these I know. scriptures. Like, I love it. They're great. Uh, that's, why I, uh, that's why I read the questions and wait for the answers. Yeah. <laughs> Brock, I think what you're referring to through a quick Google search here is uh, 1 Thessalonians 2.18. We very much wanted to come to you, and I, Paul, tried it again and again, but Satan prevented us. So we do have there you go. There you go. of that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So Satan prevent, but you know what we want to say on that is, of course, God is more powerful than, than the devil. And you know what I think is probably going on there: the devil did prevent him from going where they wanted to go, but God permitted that for some reason. It's like the Book of Job. Job couldn't be hit by the devil unless the devil first got permission from from the throne of God. So I think that's the way he put all that together. Well, I know the demonic is real and out there and harassing people continually. Some people, though, open doors to the demonic in ways they should have never opened it, and it becomes part of their lifestyle. I think for the Christian, I do believe we can get harassed or accused constantly. It may be, and it's never justified from a demon, but, you know, come from the Holy Spirit, this is a different matter. But I think the bottom line is that we as Christians need to understand that in everybody's life, even after you come to Christ, there are strongholds that we haven't fully given over. We're still struggling with certain things. And unfortunately, the demons know that too. So my word to always to myself and to others is, be as honest as you possibly can with the Lord Jesus, and be as honestly with those that you trust and love, so that there's nothing hidden in your life, that it just becomes you and the devil dealing with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
All right. I think Satan gets a lot of victory when we have a sin problem and we never talk to anybody about it. That that yeah. opens the door to the devil to have his way. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Satan would be interested in us uh, living in secrecy. Secret sins mm-hmm. are much more easier to distort, aren't they? They are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are. Well, you know, Bill, think... you... Oh, yeah. Go ahead, Justin. Oh, I was just going to say. I mean, you know, there's on one hand, I think the enemy's concerned. Sure, whatever hand he might play in delaying prayers, I think his main concern is to try to keep Christians Christians from praying in the first place. Yes. You know, and so, and I think that's, uh, you know, if there's anything, <laughs> if there's anything the enemy doesn't want Christians to do, it's to pray because he knows that when we pray. Um, that dismantles his authority and his kingdom, and there there will be a battle there. But we, you know, um, but the cheat code's been entered. <laughs> um, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's uh, where we are. We are the war has been won, and so um, God's sovereignly using any type of delay that the enemy might be doing it and weaving that in towards really the glorious answer that He'll provide. All right, we're going to take a break in 90 seconds. Uh, so answer quickly to this question. Uh, this comes from Dave in St. Paul. There seems to be different views about Mary of Magdala, Magdalene, as to whether she was a prostitute before she met Christ. I'm curious as to what your esteemed guy panel thinks. How about that? The only reference I know of is it talked about seven demons being cast out of her. Um, I don't know of any direct scripture passages that say anything else about her her life before Jesus. Okay. What about you guys? Do you know of anything? Yeah, no, I, I'm with you on that, Tom. I think it would be speculation to be able to say one way or the other uh, with any kind of definitive certainty on that. I think the question is, too, is the woman at Jesus' feet who was a a sinner, is, was that Mary Magdalene or not? I think yeah, we'd have to... I, I, I don't know for sure. <laughs> sure. All right, let me take uh, my last break. Guy Talk is um, underway, well underway at this point. If you have a question, text it over to me at 877-933-2484, 933-2484, or you can email me, bill at myfaithradio.com. Welcome back to the show. Glad to have Guy Talk happening. A couple questions here, gentlemen. What are your thoughts on the Bible Project? Many subjects seem right on, but their view of hell seems very off. I don't know much about that. Do you? Yeah, you know, I've uh, historically I've, I've really enjoyed the Bible Project for the most part. It's been incredibly helpful for um, for our kids. Very family friendly. The videos they do are, are extremely strong, and the pastors, um, the, sort of the lead or the or the main person who prompted this project. Um, the name of the church escapes me out of Madison, Wisconsin just now. Um, something Hawk, I believe, if maybe somebody else knows that. Oh, Blackhawk. Blackhawk, thank you. Yeah, yeah. And, and a very it's a very solid, um, biblically-based, uh, sound evangelical church. I know at least one of the pastoral staff there, and and she speaks highly of him as well. And, and so uh, the, the team is certainly theologically sound. Now, whether or not somebody agrees or disagrees maybe with a point about hell, given the very many theories or um, ideas about that which constitutes hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's always open for debate, but um, but I, w- I would advocate for it for everything that I've seen. I know uh, even as I went through some of the Old Testament videos on some different topics, um, they were particularly and extremely helpful to fill in some gaps in my own thinking on a few of those subjects. Yeah, I, 
I would agree. I know that I know what that is now, and I've enjoyed that tremendously. The Bible Project. Yeah. I, did, I have not known their view of hell to be off, but I'll have to pay attention more carefully next time I go through some of their yeah, videos. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Mm-hmm. Right. Another question. I was attending my men's Bible study on Tuesday, and we were going through the book of James. Verse 13 says, God does not tempt anyone. Then one of the guys said, but what about the Lord's prayer saying, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil? No one knew how to deal with these statements. Hmm. Well, it's because it's tricky. The God doesn't tempt <laughs> us in the sense that he doesn't want us to sin, but the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So there are seasons of tempt. I think in the Lord's Prayer, when we pray, lead us not into temptation, that's the normal prayer. Lord, just help me not even be tempted today. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean there's not going to be a season or time where God doesn't permit it. And, you know, it, it says that uh, if you read the Old Testament in the King James, I think it says, now God did tempt Abraham. And then the whole thing about sacrificing his son Isaac. The, the word tempt can also be translated test. So yes. I think what what I like to distinguish is God never tempts us. He never wants us to sin, but he does test us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I read that, to too. Fall. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, I, I read that, that the lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from, the evil, from evil, or it could be translated the evil one. I think that part of the Lord's Prayer is not so much just about we're, we're going to face temptations, uh, to be sure. You know, from the devil's standpoint, it's a it's a temptation. From the Lord's standpoint, it's a test. Mm-hmm. Um, however, whatever angle we want to cover it, but I think ultimately that prayer is about a readiness. It's about being battle ready. It's about in the same way that Jesus um, was delivered from the evil one in the wilderness, um, and using the sword of the Spirit, um, and 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 treasuring that up in our hearts. We too, like Jesus in the wilderness, can walk in victory against whatever temptation and pass any test that the Lord brings our way. Yeah. I think it's good to say, too, the same event can be a temptation from the devil and a test from God. I mean, let's say your mm-hmm. five-year-old daughter is killed. All right, that, that is a temptation from the devil to get you to say, nurse to God, he doesn't help me, and I'm leaving the faith. And it's also a test from God my child, will you cling to me as you go through this sorrow? So the same event can be a temptation and a test from the devil on one side and from God on the other. All right. Uh, Here's another question. People must be watching more TV than usual. I don't know this series. Um, Your thoughts on the series The Chosen. Do you know anything about that? I watched the whole series. Okay. Speak up, Um, Tom Parrish. It's interesting from the standpoint that it's done outside of Hollywood. It, they have, it's actually shot in North Texas. Who would have thought that was the Holy Land? But it's incredibly well done because it shows the humanity to the disciples and to Jesus that I've never seen before in a film. Uh, it's, I would say it's like 90% biblically accurate, but they enhance the characters to where you see things in Peter and in James and others they read nothing about in the scriptures but they show the humanity of these people. I know that my grandson, who's 16, uh, absolutely fell in love with the series. And so we watched it like over eight nights, one after another. And I would recommend it at this point to anybody, but I wouldn't make it my basis for scripture. It would I'd make it my basis for visually seeing what the scripture talks about. 
All right, I've got another part two email from the listener that asked about Mary Magdalene, uh, Dave, and he said, it seems that some equate Mary Magdalene with the woman who cleaned Jesus' feet. I do not think it is the same person, Mary. I was just wondering what your experts thought. They confirmed what I thought. Well, I think the scripture would be pretty explicit if it was Mary Magdalene. Okay. Because they identify her. Now, not to identify her mm-hmm. in that role would be very strange. Uh, so I'm, I'm pretty much convinced it's another woman. Okay. Uh, another question about Ephesians 5.27. Justin, do you have that open? You're the quickest, you're the quickest draw <laughs> yeah, he's got in the group. Memori- he's got it all memorized, Bill. Yeah, he, he probably does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's an overstatement. I yeah, I'm <laughs> Ephesians five. Yeah, okay. Ephesians five twenty seven. The question is, what do you think this means? And if you'd read it, I'd appreciate it. Absolutely, Ephesians five twenty seven. So it's a so that. Um, so right, right before that, then it's husbands love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That so this is in response to that, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of the water with the word, and then here's verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And that was the question, what do you think it means? Well, well and, think, yeah, go ahead. But I want to let Peter, uh, Peter go for it. Well, I was kind of hoping you might, but I can take a stab at it. <laughs> well, I, I can take a stab too. I, I thought I read the scripture. You can answer it now, right? All right, I'll, I'll, I'll give it. A, I'll give it a quick go, and then you can correct me. Correct me. I have it this deal. Um, you know, I, I, I think it probably is within the the river of God's redemptive um, movements that He's been doing all along. When we think about what what is God up to in a redemptive way to to redeem something means to restore that which has been lost, and uh, and so. Uh, the beauty and wonder and splendor that is God's creation that was crowned by his image-bearing male and female in Genesis 1 and 2, you know, that that's what's been so deeply corrupted uh, by the sin of Genesis 3 and moving forward. And so when we see the word church in Ephesians 5, we have to not think of a building with a sign and a steeple and a service or a live stream or whatever it is. The, the church is simply the people of God who have once again said yes to following Jesus in this world. and And so— for those people, I think they find themselves swimming in the river of God's redemptive movements um, that is going to end uh, the, the, with uh, the final restoration when he comes again. And so I think it's the work that he's doing right now is to restore that which has been lost and to present it as set apart and holy and blameless and all of the things that we are meant to be to begin with. And I, and I think we can taste a bit of that now. Uh, but again, we'll experience the fullness again of that in the future. But that is what I love about the passage is it does speak to the hopeful renewal of all things uh, that I think is, mm-hmm. is part, of, part of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I think, you know, Ephesians um, really highlights the three main metaphors that that uh, that is used for the church. You know, Ephesians 1, where the body of Christ, the fullness of him fulfills all in all. Ephesians 2, it says that we're actually God's building. We're a holy temple being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And here in Ephesians 5, it's talking about the church being the bride of Christ. Because down in verse 32, he says, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Um, and so he, there's this really close interplay uh, between the husband and wife and the human relationship, that marriage relationship that God has ordained, and the way that that pictures here on earth 
the relationship between Jesus being the bridegroom and the, and the church being the bride. And, you know, the present of the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, I think it goes all the way back to Ephesians 1 that said that we're chosen before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So it's it's God really complete bringing to completion his choice and his decision that he made before the foundation of the world, which just gives us beautiful, full picture reality of God's sovereignty of his salvation. That's awesome. Yeah. Do we, do we have Say, 30 seconds yet? I got one more thought. Yeah, go ahead. For all of those listening today, talking about the, the cinematography, all the other things, you know, whatever's going on out there. One of the things I learned in ministry is that if you go online, go on the internet and just type in, who am I in Christ? And there are tons of, of charts and other things that show the scripture that says, I'm a child of God. I've been redeemed by his blood and I'm an ambassador of the gospel. I've always asked people that are struggling, hang that in your house where you can see yeah. it promptly. And in the morning when you get up, you read one out loud and you pray it back to the Lord and you read one more at night when you go to bed and pray it back to the Lord. Because until we change our identity, who we are in Jesus Christ, we'll always be a pawn for the devil. Love it. Appreciate you guys. Thanks so much for doing the show. I will look forward Thanks, to the next time we gather around these microphones. Thanks for having us, Bill. Have a great Thanks, day. Bill. Thank you. Yep, that's, you too. God bless. Yep, that wraps up Guy, Guy Talk. Thanks to uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner, Pastors Tom Parrish, Tom Brock, and Pastor Justin Jepson. All right, Hour 2 is just ahead. John and Pam Bloom are my guests. Deep Thinker Thursday. We get them once a month. It's going to be great. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.